So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to take them. We're actually going to read the passage. Heidi Williams is going to come and read that passage we just sang for uh, a few minutes there. It's Revelation 5. So if you're new to the Bible, this is just at the very end, uh, Revelation chapter 5. Heidi, come and read that for us this morning. Then I saw in the right hand of him, who was seated on a throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him, who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowls filled of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you are slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in the heavens and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four creatures, the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Thank you so much, Heidi, for reading. The world we live in absolutely loves a spectacle when you know you might just see anything. So whether it's stadiums that are filled with thousands of people watching some sort of athletic competition, or whether it's the concert, you choose the genre of music, whether it's classical or rock, where the music just overwhelms you and you love the lights and everything about the show. Or you go to boardwalks or casinos and there's a a spectacle there. Or you watch the fireworks on the mall in Washington, D.C. Or the Macy's Day Parade or some other event or gathering or some movie-like endgame that seems to just capture an entire, entire nation. People love a spectacle. They love watching it. This is the world we live in. And... We also live in a world filled with spectacles that like draw our attention and, and we follow Jesus in that world. And we are not the first followers of Jesus to live in a world where there are all sorts of spectacles that compete for our attention. We're not the first. 
It's actually when the New Testament was written, the first followers of Jesus. Many of them are living in the world of Rome and Athens, Corinth and Ephesus, Jerusalem, where there are just unbelievable spectacles in architecture, where there are all sorts of festivals and parades, where there are all sorts of gatherings that, and rituals where you probably did not have to walk very far and you would be struck by this temple and all that is going on there and there's something to look at. How impressive those things were. And a question that the Bible regularly gets to is, how should God's people live when there's so many spectacles that we could look at? How, how do we live for God when those other things tend to capture our attention? When, when other things interest us, they, they often, these spectacles actually dull us spiritually. We find ourselves maybe, I mean, I, I don't know that we just admit it frankly, but sometimes we're more drawn to the spectacle in our world, and it makes us less interested in the Bible. The Bible has a lot to say about listen and hear, pay attention. But I, will, I wonder sometimes if what, what we don't always hear from the Bible is, look at this, look at this, look at this. But when you come to the book of Revelation, that is exactly what is happening. John is saying, look at this. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave to John. And one thing I love about Revelation is that it just bombards us with images. It is a spectacle. It makes us use our imagination. We have images, but we have to like process those images and think and kind of project what we think that might look like. I can remember listening to stories, and I'm old enough to to remember like listening to them on record players and then cassette tapes. And I remember what I liked about that, what I liked about not even just reading, but also listening, was you would have to envision, rather than just watching something, you would have to envision, this is what I think that character looks like. This is what I think that scene looks like. This is what I think it's describing. And Revelation does a lot of that and impresses this on our hearts. So the next several weeks, we're going to take a look at some key passages in the book of Revelation. And this is what I, I, I've been in church like as long as I can remember. So I think with Revelation, you tend to get like pretty, pretty strong reactions. So some people, when they hear Revelation and like, oh, a whole series of that, are like, yes, 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 yes. And and you've got the timelines and the charts and everything. You are are ready to go. And then others are like, okay, a whole series. And maybe it's because way back when you heard a message that, taken from Revelation, that frankly seemed to do a lot more scaring you than comforting you. So I really don't know the approach. I don't know whether you're excited or cautious or wary, nervous of where like a book like Revelation can go. But but either way, I think there are some scenes in this book that could, because God's word is so powerful, I think they could actually transform us. I think by looking at this book for a few weeks, I think it could make a difference in our lives. And I actually have a couple goals that I'll share on the front end that I've really been praying. And as I thought about going down this road uh, several weeks ago, I've been praying this. I've been praying that the scenes we look at in Revelation, 
that as we look at these images, these spectacles, that they will actually like, be carved and etched into our memory and onto our heart so they would stick with us, that we might even know where to find them in the future, where we would know where to go looking for some of these images. So I don't expect all of us, I mean, some of you will master every detail of Revelation. I don't expect that to be the case for, ah, in the high 90 percentile of us in this room. I don't know that we'll master every little, every little detail, but even if you don't know all the details of the symbols, and even if the whole book is intimidating, I'm hopeful that there are a few spots where you go, but I remember that scene, and I remember that that scene mattered. So that's one goal, is that we would at least remember a few things from this book. And another goal I have is that we would make connections with the book of Revelation to our lives right here and now. I'm fearful sometimes we read a book like Revelation and we think it's just telling us about the future. And we leave it off into like, maybe that will happen in 10,000 AD. But I'm not sure like 2019, how that really is going to impact my life. And and. I'm praying that in your mind that you will be surprised at how relevant and how impactful the scenes in Revelation, which is a book a lot about the future, but I feel like the future just comes right into the present. There's some pieces of background knowledge that you need to have. The book of Revelation, it's almost as if, you know, so there's, there's on on a computer, you can have lots of like apps open, lots of windows open. And there's some of these where you can actually close the window and it's not open anymore, but there's others where you can minimize and actually kind of runs behind the scene. It's always running in the background. So there are a couple of scenes and a couple of perspectives that are always running in the background of Revelation. So again, just a little bit more for background before we dig into Revelation 4 and 5. One of those perspectives that is always running in Revelation is the perspective of the throne of God. That's so, so helpful because we don't live in a world where we're thinking about God's vantage point. So actually, I live in a world where I'm always told what, what is really, really important right now. What is trending right now? What, what, what's gotten five stars? This new app, this headline, this thing, this top 20. But Revelation is pointing us to something far above that, a, a, a glimpse of a transcendent God that we don't always get that. Like we don't always get that. And we need to be reminded, oh yeah, There is a God above everything. And what do things look like from his vantage point? And Revelation will give that to us again, where his kingdom comes, where his will is done, where his name is hallowed, where he rules, where he's worshiped. Another perspective that Revelation gives, again, the kind of the minimized window sometimes gets open, but is always running in the background, is a perspective of eternity. So yeah, we get God's throne and we also get eternity. That's so, so helpful because I live in the world of like calendars and schedules. So even this week when I got back from vacation, kind of the, the night before I'm going into work after having been gone for a couple weeks, I'm checking my calendar and I'm checking my schedule to go, okay, what does this week look like? And I'll, I'll probably do the same again tonight, kind of looking at what does the week hold? What, what, it, what needs to be accomplished? What meetings do I have? But Revelation gives us the picture of Not just like, what's the next week or month hold? But it gives us the perspective of eternity. So when we sang a moment ago, we sang the glories of one who was and is and is to come. And Revelation just gives us that again and again and again, saying right now, right now may matter. But don't forget eternity. We're not just 
escaping to the future. I told you I want us to look here and now. Revelation isn't just some kind of odd to us writing with symbols and numbers. It's not just a book filled with prophetic predictions. It actually, if you read Revelation, even from the beginning, chapter 1, what, what sometimes we forget is this book is a letter from a pastor to churches. So John writes to seven churches that are in modern-day Turkey. And he's writing as a pastor, telling them what matters, telling them what they should think about life. That is revelation. Maybe you've never thought of it in that way. But John, as a pastor, like any good pastor should, he cares about the people that he's writing to, that they would walk with Jesus. So he writes revelation to them. He's concerned that they would submit their lives to Jesus and his agenda. So he writes this book to them. He records the visions that he saw. He wants them to grow in their love for Jesus. And so he writes Revelation and records it. We actually don't get a ton of new information in Revelation. Actually, so many pieces of Revelation, actually, when you dig into it, you realize this allusion, this symbol, this verse, this quote, is all from other places in Scripture. But it's like it's all packaged and kind of laid to us, this last book of our Bibles, saying, get a vision and an image of some things that matter and let that fuel your walk. Let it refresh your walk with Jesus. May it be greater love, deeper obedience. May it fuel risks for him. May it fuel everyday obedience and faithfulness to him. So the first vision that I want us to look at in Revelation actually begins in chapter 4. So it's really a combo, and you need both parts of this vision. So uh, a few moments ago, Heidi read chapter 5, and, and we'll, we'll definitely get there. But actually, the, kind of the whole scene starts in chapter 4. So can we read that? Can we look at that together? Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. John says, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. So we're going to actually get a glimpse into heaven. And some things are going to be revealed. The first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne and he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a, a rainbow that had an appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And from that throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, a, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second like an ox, the third like a man, the with like the face of a man and the fourth like an eagle in flight and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, 
Worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor. Worthy are you to receive power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. It's a scene of worship in Revelation, but before we go any further, I think we need to realize just kind of this foundational assumption that Revelation and really all the Bible makes, and that is you and I were made to worship. This is just the, the assumption, whether you, whether you would consider yourself religious or not, whether you would consider yourself a Christian or not, you and I were made to worship, and we will worship. So don't get me wrong, you will do a bunch of things in life. You might commute to work, you might seek relationships, you might clean your house, you may pay your taxes, you might make friends, you might get an education, you might have hobbies, you'll eat and sleep, buy groceries, raise a family, you'll do all those things, but you and I will Worship. In the end, that's what we're made to do. There will be things that will so impress you, that will just strike you, that you will give your attention and you will give your affection to them. You will worship. There are some things that will, you will want to identify with so much that you'll say, I am, I'm part of this. And you will worship. The, the question is not whether you will worship, you will. There, will. there will be things in life that you will say, I am so grateful for this. There will be things that you will say, this is better than anything else I've ever seen in my life. This is absolutely the best. I hope this never ends. There will be things that you will say, I want to give my strength and my time and my energy, whatever I have, I want to give for this cause. There will be things that you will empty your wallet to and say, that means something. And I will will show that value by, by how much I spend on it. There will be things that you will use your insight and your knowledge to advance. There will be some things that you will not be able to say enough good things about it. Man, that was incredible. That was the best. I've never seen. I can't imagine. You have to see. We will all worship. That's how we're made. But here's what we should realize. There are a thousand things that will vie for what we will worship the most. What will be the most ultimate thing to us. Lots of things will vie for that. In Revelation 4, you have a picture of the throne and one seated on the throne. Actually, as you read Revelation, there are a lot of other thrones. There's other people seated on those thrones that demand worship and demand attention and demand allegiance and demand affection. The question is not whether you will worship. We will. You were made to. I was made to. And this might be a really good time to specify you were made to worship God. It's not just that you were made to worship. But God in his creating everything created you and I so that we would worship him. He is absolutely the center of this scene in Revelation. If you read Revelation and you don't get the picture that God is at the center, we've read it wrong. You read pictures like this in other places. So if you were to pick up this afternoon and and just read a little bit of God's word on the Lord's day, if you were to read Isaiah 6, you would, you'd say like, that sounds familiar. That's like what we read in Revelation 4. If you were to read Ezekiel 1, you'd say, man, that sounds an awful lot like what we read in Revelation today. There, There are these pictures of the throne, and the idea is we are made to worship God because the Lord reigns. Like things slow down and one thing about Revelation that probably the first, I don't know, 75 times I read it, I, I didn't realize how many songs are in the book of Revelation. 
And actually, as you read, even modern translations have helped us where they kind of put some indents and they set off words. So you can tell like you're reading along and there's a paragraph and then, oh, these words are set off as if there's poetry. It's telling us something. This is poetic language. This is a song or these are words that people are singing as a, as a rhythm, as a chant. They are, they're making sure their mind is focused and their hearts are being stirred by this. There's all kinds of songs in Revelation, even the passages we read. The first song in Revelation 4 is in verse 8. And the song is like honoring the one on the throne. And around the throne is this chorus that never, never stops. It says, holy, holy, holy is the one on the throne. He's distinct, he's set apart, but it's more than that. He's full of perfections. There's no flaw in him. There's such a distinction between the one on the throne and everything and everyone else. Holy, holy. He is all that is true. He is all that is good. He is all that is beautiful. And not only that, he's almighty. So he's the Lord God almighty. So he rules everything. Do we we have this picture? We were made to worship. We were made to do exactly what's going on. And, And not only is he holy and not only is he almighty but he's also the one who's eternal he's the one who was and is and is to come the second song in this book is is in verse 11 that he is the creator they worship him you are worthy O lord because you created everything and by your will for your pleasure they exist if you didn't want them here if you didn't want all of this here it would not be here because of this The one on the throne is at the center. God is at the center. And so you get verses like verse 9 and verse 11 that say, Lord, you take the glory. You're the one held in the highest esteem. Lord, you take the honor. The one on the throne, you receive all the thanks. All the gratitude ought to be going to you. All the strength, all the power that we have, you receive it, Lord. And this isn't some picture to like inform, well, you know, in a million years from now, it's, it's actually, it, that's true. That's going to go on forever and ever. But import that right now. Is the Lord who is the center of all this praise in heaven, is he at the center of everything that's going on in your life? If he's not, I know exactly what's happened because it's happened in my heart as well. If the Lord is not at the center, if the one who is on the throne is not at the center of my life and I'm not worshiping him, giving everything to him, then what I do, if he's displaced, then I've cobbled together some sort of life that I'm going to try to make sense by. I'm going to get some sort of equation, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, maybe some of that, maybe some of that, and maybe my life will make sense. Maybe it'll have meaning. Maybe it'll be what I'm, I'm, I'm meant for. So I go and I, I get like achievement. Okay, that'll give me some fulfillment, some satisfaction. Or if I could just have this experience or, man, if I just had one of those, if I just had some more stuff, if I just had this house, oh, I have this house. Now I am something. I am someone. Or, or, or my, my family, my kids, my grandkids, my, my nephew, my niece. Or if, I, if I'm at this party, then I, I, I kind of get, get a buzz by being around people. Or, or there's some substance like weed or alcohol, and then it's going to fuel me, and I'm going to finally feel like I'm, I'm, I'm free, and I, I, I'm, I can think the way I want to think. Or, or maybe if I have this friend, or maybe if I get this promotion, and we'll cobble all that together, and you'll be doing that all your life. 
Or you can have the one who is at the center of which all of your life is meant to be focused and all your attention is meant to be drawn to him. If he is not the center, life just begins. None of that, none of that other stuff can hold at the center. Even the good things will break down. They weren't meant to be ultimate. I love the picture of Revelation. This picture too, because we were made to worship God, but I love wherever God is worshipped. It seems like in Revelation, wherever he's worshipped, there's a gathering. There's not just even one individual worshipping. Did you see it here? Four living creatures, 24 elders. It, It does help me understand what Sunday mornings 11 o'clock at Ogletown Baptist. I understand we're not in Revelation 4 and 5. I understand we're not around the throne with the angelic beings. But is this not some snapshot? I know I have a vested interest in saying, I think gathering with God's people ought to be a priority to you. I realize I kind of have a a biased interest in that, right? But I actually think if this is going on for heaven, if there's forever in heaven, if there's a gathering around, around, around the throne and people are worshiping the Lord, then would it not make sense that we would gather and sing something like, all creatures of our God and King? Let's just lift up our voice and sing. Wouldn't it make sense that we might sing to each other, we might reflect that gathering even in a small way and say, I will wait for you. On your word, I will rely. We would sing that. We would do this on a regular basis. Not, not, not to be legalistic, but because this is the gathering in heaven. This goes on for eternity. Why would we not want to make time and room and energy, make it actually not something that we'll do if we have no other plans, but we will kind of set that as a priority of our week? Gatherings of Christians don't always seem impressive. I mean, you, you, we sing songs, some of which were written hundreds of years ago. We read a book that's ancient. And in some way, more is going on than just like a few people assembled in a room. When we watch people being dunked in water, more is going on than just like the elements there. When we take bread and juice, more is going on here. In some ways, we're looking at a reflection of a gathering. We do it in harmony with each other and with gatherings that have met for 2,000 years. You were made to worship God. But Revelation 4, like the tone changes when you come to the next chapter in Revelation 5. Heidi read it a moment ago. We won't look at every single verse, but what you do find in Revelation 5 is we got the picture of the one on the throne and everybody's worshiping him. There's this gathering around him. And then Revelation 5 says there's a scroll in his hand. It's a scroll, and that scroll is actually sealed. A scroll is a record. In this particular case, it's the record of what God speaks, what God is doing, what God records, who he is, what he's doing. And John says, when I saw it, he's in a vision. I mean, he, he's seeing this in a vision. He says, when I, when I saw the, the, the scroll closed and sealed, I wept. I wept loudly, he would say. Because like he's cut off from God revealing himself. The sealed scroll kind of leaves people in a difficult spot. It, it's almost if we reflected on it for just a few moments, we would say, okay, God is holy, 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 but, but I'm not. So what assurance and comfort is it if God's holy and I'm not? 
well, God made me, but what if I've rebelled against him? All the elders are praising, but what if I'm on the outside? Everybody can sing and join and praise. And what an amazing spectacle Revelation 4 is. But I'm a sinner by birth and I'm a sinner by choice. And I live in a sinful world. This is the dilemma we're meant to feel. And it's not like I can go, well, no problem. The scroll's sealed. I'll just step up and I got this. I'll just start. I'll tell you what God's doing. I'll kind of unfold. I'll be the one that tells you what God's doing in this world. Scripture says no one was found worthy. They looked. No one, no one, no one could authenticate. No one has the right profile to say, okay, you can unlock all of what God is doing until verse 5. Verse 5, it says, one of the elders said to me, you don't have to weep any longer. And, And then he says interesting words, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, which goes all the way back to Genesis, promises that God made, covenant promises God made in Genesis the root of David, all the way back to Second Samuel, covenant promises God made. He's conquered. So he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, we expect, he, he said, a, a, a lion, the tribe of Judah, but now look what he sees. He says, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. So it's not a dead lamb, it's standing but it's as if it had been slain and the spirit of God is, is with him. It says in verse 7, And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. A lamb is standing. He's worthy. And he takes the scroll and he can open it. And we got another song. It says in verse 8, When he had taken the scroll, four living creatures, 24 elders, fall down before the lamb. It says in verse 9, they sang a new song saying. Now remember, previously we, we saw a song to one on the throne, but now notice this song is to the Lamb. Worthy are you to take the scroll, to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them priests, a kingdom, and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. We got songs, but in this song in particular, we get the idea of the one who can open the, the scroll, that open the seals. This is the one who can tell us, this is what God's plan is. At a point in time, a man named Jesus fulfilled the plan and will of God. We say, how did he do that? He was slain. He shed blood. And in shedding his blood, and so we have a picture of what Jesus did for us on the cross, and by shedding his blood, it says he ransomed people for God. He purchased people for God. And it doesn't just stop there. It says he purchased people from every tribe. So it's not going to be like one ethnicity, one nationality, but it's going to be much like this gathering, people from lots of ethnicities, lots of tribes, lots of people groups. He ransomed them for, for God. He purchased them. And it's not just that they're delivered, but they actually, their lives are forever changed. So it's not just that they're rescued and then they have some sort of meaningless existence after that. He says, no, he made them priests. They have access to God. He made them kings. They rule for God. This is what we call the gospel. This is like the heartbeat of our church. We want people to know this. We want every tribe, nation, tongue, people. We want everybody to know the story, the truth of this lamb whose name is Jesus. It says in verse 11, in 12, another song breaks out. It's like, 
it just grows because we had like the four, four living creatures, the 24 elders, but now we have myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands of angels saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Yeah, lamb, take the power. You ought to receive it. Take the wealth, take the wisdom, take the might, take the honor, take the glory and blessing. You deserve it. You should receive it. Verse 13, I heard every creature, so it expands even further, not just the angels. Now every creature. Now they sing, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. You see how the picture merges. And it's so important we see this picture because we will not understand the fullness of Jesus. Revelation 4 is all about the one who sits on the throne. And then we get almost an identical picture in Revelation 5 of the Lamb. So what are we told to do? Are we to worship like two very different beings? But the way it's presented is as if, no, 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 no. You are giving your worship to God. The one who sits on the throne and the Lamb. You're giving your worship to the one who has brought salvation. Well, who brought salvation? Well, it's God who saves, but it's Jesus who brought it. So you're giving your worship to the one who sits on the throne and the lamb. Jesus isn't bypassed. God, the one on the throne, is not ignored. Jesus is included in the worship of God and like it all comes together. And understanding, so Jesus is doing all the things that God does. He, in his essence, must be God. Which is why we say God, one God in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here we get a glimpse of it, don't we? And that the same worship is given to the Lamb, it's given to the one on the throne. Jesus is due all this worship. The Lamb is at the center with the one on the throne, and worship goes on and on and on. And that Lamb is Jesus. That Lamb is the one that in human with a human body, human voice, said to people like Peter, James, and John, come follow me. And that lamb is the one that said, you take up your cross, you deny yourself, and you follow me. And the cost of that can't even compare to the rewards you'll receive. That lamb is the one that loved us so much, he gave his life on the cross. That lamb is the one who promised to be with us always to the end of the age. This is Jesus, the one, the one who should take the glory. You see, you and I were meant to worship the Lamb. Should I not hold him in the highest esteem? Should he not receive all the glory? Should he not receive all the honor? Should he not? I think, I don't know how many more years the Lord has, but should he not get the best of my years? Actually, all of them. Should he not get that? Does he, is he not worthy? Give him all the riches. Let him receive all the, all the wealth. And I piece that together and I go, okay, so my PNC statement or my Wells Fargo statement or my Capital One or Chase, should that not reflect that he should receive all the honor and all the glory? Should that not show up somewhere in my, in my bank account? If he's to receive all of it? Should I not use my wisdom and whatever in intelligence or intellectual prowess any of us have, should we not use that to advance his cause, not just like build our own kingdoms? 
Should he not get the time and energy? Should we ever, would there ever be enough where we go, you know, we've said enough good things about this lamb who was slain for us. We've said enough good things. Let's move on to some other things. Would that ever come? I I, I can't imagine a time. In the end, I love how Revelation 5 closes. Closes by one word. It says, they all fall down, the living creatures. They say, amen. In that moment, it's so helpful to recognize humans aren't the center of attention at that moment. So I'm reminded over and over again is how important all the celebrities are in our world. They're so, so important. We need to track their every move. I'm reminded all the time of people's value and worth seems to be around how many people will click on a pixelated screen, a thumbs up, and say, I like that, or a heart. And we, like, we attach worth to that. And then we get a vision like this that I hope you never forget that actually blows all that and says, wait a minute. Your worth is not tied to that. Your worth is found in the one on the throne and the lamb. That is what really matters for eternity. And all else has its place. That matters forever. When you've seen a spectacle, I can think back to games I've gone to, like fun, fun games where like close all the way and then my team wins at the end. I can remember these spectacles and uh, concerts I've been to or sites I've seen and the credits roll and you get back into your car. You know what I never do after seeing like a spectacle like that? I don't go, oh, let me think of three to four practical applications I can make to that in my life right now. It just, it doesn't work like that, does it? I'm not like motivated like getting in the car after that sort of game and go, I need to work on my to-do list. It just doesn't work like that. And actually, I don't have three or four applications to us today. I don't think spectacles are meant to do that for us. This is what I do. When you watch a game and like you turn it off and you're like, your emotions have changed and like it's like it's formed you probably unnecessarily. So, you know, I do, I think about it. Or I've had some experience with my family or friends. I think about it. I look at a picture and there's something, I mean, you know how this works. Even looking at the picture, it takes you back to where you were. And like you feel something internal, like something in you changes as having experienced that or seen that or been a part of that. You think about it, you chew on it, you meditate on it. It sticks, it doesn't pass, it makes a difference. Days, weeks, months later, I remember that time when I You think about it and you talk about it. I see something amazing. I go, you have got to see this. It can be something that's actually not that amazing, but it just captures my attention. It's like, hold on, let me me get that. You got to watch this. You'll you'll love this. I want to bring others into the spectacle. You know, if my prayers of this week are answered, what's going to happen at Ogletown? is due to Revelation 4 and 5, certainly not to this, like, poor effort at a sermon, but due to Revelation 4 and 5, we're going to do a lot of thinking and talking about the one on the throne and the lamb who was slain. And we're not going to be able to get our mind off of it. And when we're tempted to complain and gossip and whine, when we're tempted to be overwhelmed by our current circumstances, we're going to get a picture of the throne So to kind of prompt some of that thinking and talking, can I just leave you with a few questions? 
I want to ask you who or what is really at the center of your worship. Something is. Is it the one on the throne who's almighty, eternal? Is it the lamb who bled for you? And what does this vision mean for your life? Do you have goals, desires, plans? you have an ambition? I would hope, I would think. What does this vision mean for that? Next five years, ten years? Does any confession or repentance need to happen? Because all you've been giving your life to is so out of line with this? Who else might need to grasp this vision? A start would be you could pray for him. Someone you know, someone I know, does not live their life in accordance with this grandeur of who God is. So let's start with ourselves for sure. But let's think, like, are there others? And may God use me to pray for them or tell them. Can I ask you to bow your head? In a moment, we'll sing. Let's just think through, ponder those questions for just a second. Lord, in a moment, we will walk out into reality and that's going to hit us. There's going to be lots of things we've got to plan and do and take care of. And that's real and that's life and that's the way you designed it. But I do pray that we would not go very far this day, this week, this month without a clear vision of worship and praise to you and that that would fuel our honor and our glory and our blessing and our riches, that we would offer those to you. With feeble voice, we say, you are worthy. Uh, It's not enough, but I am grateful for the eternal scene that in 10,000 years won't be enough. But we praise you for what we saw this morning. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.